The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to our show today to One Hour at a Time. And of course I'm John McAndrew, your sometimes guest host, and I'm very lucky today to... uh, to be able to speak to our guest, who we will call Dr. Joe. He is Joseph Schrand, is a doctor. He's an instructor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and the medical director of CASEL, which stands for Clean and Sober Teens Living Empowered, and we'll talk a lot about that later on. Uh, that's an intervention unit for at-risk teens uh, in Brockton, Massachusetts, Dr. Schrand was formerly on the staff at the uh, Massachusetts General Hospital as well as the medical director of the McLean Hospital Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Care and Adolescent Residential Programs. It's hard to get out. These are pretty big jobs. He, he's been a practicing psychiatrist for over 20 years, has really a lot of experience in the field of adolescent anger management and conflict resolution. So he's sought after, sought after to speak all over the world. And he's also affectionately known as Dr. Joe, which we will call him from here on, as he was Joe in the original PBS TV children's show called Zoom, which won a lot of awards. And by the way, Dr. Schrand is the only Zoom kid to have published uh, any books and <laughs> We're going to be talking today about his his book, his newest book, and it's called Outsmarting Anger. And I have to admit, uh, Dr. Joe, when I got it and I pulled it out and I saw Harvard Health Publications, Seven Strategies for Diffusing Our Most Dangerous Emotion, I thought I'm going to have trouble understanding all this. But I have met you, doctor, and I've read your book and it's very, very powerful, and, and I can understand it. So, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, John. What a what a wonderful introduction, and I do appreciate being here. And I'm so glad to know that that the book is that accessible. That's exactly what I was hoping for. So, thank you for that. Yeah, we people that work in the field and people that don't, and we talk about we talk about the brain nowadays, and. Uh, it's almost like the newest, the new frontier with the imaging and the possibilities of seeing how the brain works. And now we do testing and we can actually see the results. Uh, to put this in just such easy terms to understand, and you have true stories in this book, and you talk, you talk about diffusing our most dangerous emotion, which is anger. And, it, and it's written here, it's not always your own anger that gets in the way of life and success. Very often, someone else's anger gets in your way. A spouse, uh, someone you work with, parents and children. Uh, and you give us some concrete uh, tools to use, which is just 
really nice. You know, people, simple people like little tools, you know, and uh, pliers for the brain sort of thing. So I, chapter one in your book is called A Glimpse into the Angry Brain, and I believe this little story you can tell us about New York City kind of got you started on this road and looking into anger, didn't it? Yeah, it, it really did, John. And um, it was many years ago, long before I was doing really much of this, <clears throat> and I was walking down the road in New York, and um, in New York it is interesting because there are some rules, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you walk, sometimes you make eye contact, sometimes you don't. You know, you always need to be, you know, aware. So yeah. I happened to make eye contact with this fellow, and this was a big guy. You know, one of those bulging guys with the biceps and the tattoos and everything. And I thought, maybe I've made a mistake here. So and he says to me, what are you looking at? And I mean, he's across the street. He's looking, what are you looking at? So I quickly said, nothing. And he said, who are you calling nothing? Oh, and I said, hey, you know, so I, I kept walking. I thought, you know, this, this sort of makes me a little angry. I mean, I wasn't doing anything to this guy to be threatening, but he became threatening. And I thought, you know, it's not worth it. I got tickets to the theater. I'm just going to go. But it really did get me thinking about so many different things. What is this anger <clears throat> and how quickly we can ignite it? just from these simple, almost meaningless interactions. But clearly, to our brains, to our ancient brains, they have some meaning. That's what uh-huh. I started to look at. Yeah. And, and I think, boy, if you walk through a, uh, um, a bookstore these days or go online for self-help books, this seems to me, and, I, and I'm, I, I hope I'm not exaggerating, but the underlying current behind all of this, um, people that are in the recovery field, uh, people that are in recovery, there's this underlying thing that we always talk about is fear and anger and anger and fear. It seems to be the common thread. There's so much of it. Now, I think in, in order to first understand why it's there, mm-hmm. it's important to, to have some definition of anger. So the definition that I want to share with, with you and with the listening audience, anger is an emotion designed to change the behavior of somebody else. We get angry when we want somebody to do something different, to start doing something or stop doing something. So anger is an approach emotion. You approach someone with the intention of getting them to do something different. To change. To change. But here's the question for you and for the audience. Okay. When is the last time you got angry at someone who was treating you with respect. Oh, boy. I mean, just think about it. You know, you really don't. You can, you, can, you know, and I, I work with, with adolescents, and they will say, and when I ask them this question, well, you know, my mom, you know, was respect. She, she, she told me I had to go to a treatment center, and I got angry with her. I said, well, how, did, how was that respectful? Well, she said it really nicely, but, but I knew that she was really disappointed with me. You know, so the anger is, I don't want my mom to be disappointed. I don't want to go to the treatment center. I'm not sure what I want to do. So when you really feel respected by someone, John, you don't get angry because being respected feels great. If anger is an emotion designed to change the behavior of somebody else and being respected feels great, why would we want to change that? Yeah. And Dr. Joe, why is our brain set up to do that? And how did we get into this? For some people, 
it's so hard to shut it off. It just keeps going. This part of our brain is it the amygdala, or you know, I know so little, but I know there's this little thing in the middle of our head that really gets a lot of us in trouble. Yeah, and the amygdala. I mean, look, we've come up with all these great names for different parts of the brain. You know, amygdala, hippocampus, substantia nigra, all these wonderful names. But you can boil it down. And it's a little bit simple, and I, I apologize to all of my neuroscientist colleagues out there who are probably listening. Um, but here's, here's the basic idea. And, um, over hundreds of millions of years, we have evolved our brain. And as David Linden says in his wonderful book, um, we never threw anything away. His book was called The Accidental Mind. Uh-huh. We, never, we never threw anything away. We just built one chunk of brain on top of the other. So ultimately, we, we have this chunk of brain called the limbic system, which is ancient, hundreds of millions of years old, responsible for impulses, for feelings, for memories. It's also the site of addictions. Okay. And then, over the last several millions of years, we basically built a whole new chunk of brain, the new brain, the neo-neocortex brain. And in particular, there's a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, right behind your forehead. If the audience could just put your hand on your forehead for a minute, right behind there is the thinking part of your brain, the thinking part responsible for analyzing information, creating solutions, problem-solving, executing a plan, anticipating the consequence of that behavior. Right there, our new brain. So we've all done something impulsively and slapped our forehead and go, God, what was I thinking? Well, it's almost as if you're trying to jumpstart your prefrontal cortex. Because what you've done is you have been limbic. You have reacted and responded to some perception in the world as if you were an ancient, ancient lizard, as if you were some ancient animal responding to the perception of something that you thought maybe was dangerous. That's what anger is. Remember, and anger... It's powerful because when we go, um, you say in the book, go limpic, right? That's right. Our face gets red. Our neck starts tightening. The yeah. veins start busting out. Our heart rate increases. Um, adrenaline. Yeah. So that... It's a, still a pretty powerful piece in our head, isn't it? Of course, and we want that. It's a part of our survival. We would not be here on the planet today if we didn't have that. But the problem is we've now evolved different things. And as one of my heroes, E.O. Wilson, says, and I paraphrase, we're, we're basically, you know, cavemen mentality with Star Wars weapons. So we need to be pretty careful. This anger especially powerful emotion, part of our survival. There's nothing wrong with anger. It's what you do with it that can get you in trouble. Right. And we're, you know, to all your friends that are really knowledgeable in this, and then, I'll, you know, your friends are on one side of the room and all my buddies are on the other one. See, we don't know anything, but... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Listen, you said early on, you know, that I've been practicing for psychiatry for 20 years. Why do you think we practice it? Yeah. <laughs> right? so we're like we're the guys that want to know, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, in a good way. Here, you know, we're the lugs on the other side, but well. you really haven't known an awful lot about this stuff for a very long time. In your book, uh, I enjoyed the historical context of, you know, the, the very first times that we kind of realized that, 
if you damage a part of the brain, you know, it affects your thinking. It wasn't hundreds and hundreds of years no. ago, was it? You're talking about Phineas Gage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What a, I mean, great story. Phineas Gage, for the, for the audience, was this really lovely guy. He was a family man, very pleasant. He was the foreman you know, of a... Of a Group that were building the intercontinental highway, the, the high, you know, the, 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 the railroad that was going to go from one part of America to the other. And, and one day he's on the job, and part of his job is to tamp down the gunpowder so they're going to, you know, explode some rocks so they can clear the path to put down some railroad track. And he's uh-huh. tamping down this gunpowder, and boom, it ignites and it sends this tamping iron, this, you know, six foot tamping iron through his skull, and he didn't die. He didn't die. Now, as I say in the book, you, know, you can imagine you know, anybody who has a tamping iron like going through their skull may be a little angry, but it fundamentally changed his personality. Okay. He became an angry guy, an irritable guy, a guy that, that you couldn't get along with from this really lovely guy. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if you ever go to the Harvard Medical School Museum in the Longwood area, they have the tamping iron and a cast of his skull. And oh you can see goodness. what his halt was. It's remarkable. He spent the rest of his life basically as a sideshow in a circus. Wow. Remarkable. But what they found as they reconstructed this all these years later is he had severed the connection between his limbic system and his prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex, we began to realize, is the break on our limbic system. It's, it's the, the way that we control our impulses. There's this limbic system ready to go. And the prefrontal cortex has evolved to say, wait a second, let's think this through. Right. And, so, so, and has some facts and experiences to, to counteract the anger, the fear, yeah, that we're in, and kind of a sort of like, does mindfulness live in that prefrontal yeah, cortex? Yeah, absolutely, mindfulness does, and, and oh, if wow. you, you know, it, it's our ability to really anticipate what will happen next. Okay. Um, but the other part that is housed in the prefrontal cortex is this very interesting fundamental component of human interaction. It's got a clunky name. It's called theory of mind. But it implies our ability to wonder what somebody else is thinking or feeling. It's and we're going to, Dr. Joe, we're going to, uh, we've been talking to Dr. Joseph Strand, and we're talking about his new book, Outsmarting Anger, and we're kind of covering what our brain is about. And what's very interesting is we're going to find out that we can actually control our, our own anger, but also other, other people's anger. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Again, this is John McAndrew. We've been talking with Dr. Joe Joseph Schrand, whose book, Outsmarting Anger, is published by Harvard Health Publications. And uh, we'll tell you later, you can find this book everywhere. And uh, I encourage anyone who's a doctor and everybody that isn't to pick up the book because it, gives, it just gives some incredible, easy-to-understand under, easy knowledge about the brain and how we interact and I uh, when I picked it up, Doctor Jones started to read it. You introduced this concept. Now you've told us about the brain a little bit. We've got this limbic part that we kind of don't need anymore, but I guess we do need it. Oh, we do, we do. Yeah. And we've got the prefrontal cortex, the PFC, the sort of the cop on our anger. But this concept you introduced that you we have the ability to control other people's anger, that emotion as well. And um, could you kind of explain that to us? I, I would be delighted. We, we have an impact on each other's brains all the time. I mean, John, as you're saying these wonderful things, and they're so kind about, about outsmarting anger, it makes me feel something. You're having an impact on me. And we know we do this all the time, fluidly, with each other in Every interaction we have, that's what, just to go back from it, that's what this theory of mind part is all about and so powerful. Because human beings, millions of years ago, began to form social groups. We had to be able to interpret what somebody else was thinking or feeling. And human beings are very interested in what other people think or feel. Uh That's empathy. But we're particularly interested. What are you thinking or feeling about me? That's what drives us, and we are very interested in that because in our heart of hearts, a human being wants to feel valued by another human being. Think and respected, it. right? You use that. Yes, and respect leads to value. Mm-hmm. And part of this, again, to, it'll get to answer your question about, you know, we, we have this impact on each other's brains. But a million years ago when we were evolving, we were never the biggest animal. We weren't the fastest. We weren't the strongest. We were always at risk of being lunch for another animal. <laughs> we were prey. Yeah. 
And then we began to form these small social groups. And our survival potential increased so dramatically that human beings are now pretty much everywhere on the planet. That's remarkable. But to be part of a group, to have that peace, to have that survival potential, you had to have value. And I needed to know through your eyes that I was valuable. Then I could be at peace and I could begin to trust you and trust is a whole other chemistry in the brain that we can talk about at some point. So, so you yes. say through, through my eyes. That's right. Through How does your that eyes, Through your eyes, I see myself as one way or another. Because I'm not interested just in what you're thinking of feeling, which is empathy. I'm particularly interested, what are you thinking of feeling about me? That has to come first. A million years ago, it was much more important for me to survive by knowing if you were looking at me as your lunch than if you were hungry. Those are two different things. The first is, do you see me as a threat? The second is, are you threatening me? See, am I your lunch or are you hungry or two different things? So how do we do this? We do this in small ways every day. We have an influence on each other. And in the Outsmarting Anger book, it actually goes through seven strategies. There are really seven steps that you do in order to get to the most important middle part. The first three steps, or about your own anger. Uh-huh. The first is recognize rage. Recognition, remember, is a thinking function, prefrontal cortex. Rage is a feeling function, a limbic function. So when I recognize it, I'm beginning to shift immediately my brain into that thinking part, which is where I want to be. So I want to recognize rage. And what I ask in the book is for you, the reader and the audience, to come up with a list of names, a list of words for anger. And actually, you know, you can, there, I think there may be 25, 50, 75 different words to describe anger. But you would come up with 10. And there's a range of anger. There's irritated, annoyed, then there's postal, there's murderous, there's rageful, uh-huh. there's incensed. You know, you would come up with your words. Words are also a thinking function. And then you would attribute a number, another thinking function, to each one of those words on a scale of 1 to 10. Anything over a five puts you at risk for aggression, which is the enactment of anger. So you come up with that, and then you go to the next step, which is envision envy. Why am I angry? Anger is an emotion designed to change the behavior of somebody else. Well, if I'm envious, I think somebody has more than me, that they're an advantage of me, then I become envious of them. They may take something from me, and they may take... All animals need food, shelter, the ability to mate. And this would be, uh, in, in the book, it turns into resources, residence, and relationships. We That's have simple, resources. Huh? Right, the three R's. Yeah. Oh, so, the three R's, okay. Right. So resources can be anything from food and water to money and iPhones and cars. If somebody thinks that they have more than me, uh, there's something about that. If I think somebody has an advantage over me, I become envious of them. But the flip side of envy is suspicion. If I'm envious of somebody else, they may begin to think that I'm trying to take something from them, and they will become suspicious. So the other reason we get angry is suspicion. I'm angry because I want you to change that. Back off. Don't try to take something from me. Mm-hmm. So these are the first three steps. Recognize rage, envision envy, and sense suspicion. 
But then you realize if I'm doing this, everyone's doing it. We've all basically evolved the same brain. So if I'm getting angry about certain things, everyone is getting angry about those similar things. Right. That, that gets to the fourth step, which really shifts the whole anger management to what outsmarting anger is really about. Because as you said before, it's not always your anger that gets in the way of your success. Very often it's somebody else's anger that gets in the way of your success. So the book helps you manage somebody else's anger. And when is the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? Oh, my. You have another story in the book, and it's so powerful. And, and, and again, these things happen to us over and over and over and over every day. Uh, when we meet people, we see people. Our, our brain is just constantly assessing all these things. And I've heard people that are... Uh, that have been on the show that are in recovery in one way, shape, or form talk about this fear of losing what you have or not getting what you want. And it sounds to me that that's exactly what you're talking about with this envy piece. And when we don't get it out of that fear, then we become aggressive and we get angry. And, uh, you know, it's a very common thing that I hear. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, you know, reading that chapter, and uh, it's so, almost the same thing that you're talking about, isn't it? It is. It's, I'm so glad, because human beings, we want to be part of a group. Yep. Right? I mean, remember, that that's what enhanced our survival. And addiction, drugs and alcohol, it is the most tragic part of what happens with drugs and alcohol, because you wind up systematically isolating yourself from the very group that you need to keep you the support and comfort to survive and get through. That's why we have fellowships. Yeah. Fellowship is powerful. We can talk about that at some point, I hope, during this Yeah, hour. I think in the next we'll talk a little bit about... So you've gone through the fourth step, four of the steps. No, the first three. The fourth first step. Three. Okay. The fourth step is to project peace. This is the first step to really having an influence on somebody else's brain, somebody else's anger. If you are walking down the street and you see a stranger, you've done this, you attribute some intention to that stranger. Right. Look at a stranger and go, hmm, you know, just like I did walking down the street in New York and I saw this stranger. Yep. We basically attribute trust versus mistrust. Is this somebody that I need to be worried about? Do you know how long that takes? I mean, scientists have now done the studies. This takes 37 milliseconds. That's the blink of an eye. In 37 thousandths of a second, you are attributing some intention to another person. John, that's our window. Wow. By projecting peace, we send a message instantaneously to another human's brain that you don't have to worry, you don't have to be envious of me, that I have more than you, or suspicious that I'm going to try to take something from you. I am peaceful. Let's get that clear, that I am someone that you may choose to trust versus mistrust, and you project peace. Well, we've all got people like this in our lives, and I have a a special person. I'll just call him Jerry Mack, and uh, he's one of those people, Dr. Joe, that whenever anybody you you talk about him, everybody goes, oh, God, I love that guy. Hmm. I love that guy. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and when I was reading your book, I thought of in this chapter about projecting peace, because that's what he does. He's constantly smiling and respecting you. All those traits that we kind of would all like to have, uh, I carry them around in my wallet once in a while hmm. when I need them. This particular human being has it all the time, and it's such a beautiful trait to have. And that's what he's doing. You've explained it to me, the mystery. And you want to be around him, right? Exactly. Right. So for Jerry Mack, he's done something powerful, not just for the other person, helping them feel valuable, but for him. He's part of a group. So his projecting peace draws someone to him. So now he's safer as well. He has more value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. Wow. We've been talking with Dr. Joe, and um, it just, it's all so fascinating for me. Again, the name of the book is Outsmarting Anger. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that Dr. Joe's been, been doing for quite some time. He's been working with kids, and uh, um, we're going to talk about Castle, and we'll explain what, what that is. Again, uh, Dr. Joe, uh, Joseph Schrand, his book is available on Harvard Health Publications. And we're going to be right back with some more really fascinating stuff. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaeg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We, uh, we've been talking with Dr. Joseph Schrand, and called Dr. Joe. And Dr. Joe, uh, could you give us any information on how people could get a hold of you, or is that appropriate at this time? Would you, would you like to offer any of that? Or Sure, John. Yeah. I, I have a website, 
uh, www.drshrand.com. That's D-R-S-H-R-A-N as in Nancy, D as in David, dot com. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of blogs there and, and you know, links to stuff. The book is, uh, you know, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Nobles. You should be able to get, you know, Outsmarting Anger pretty much anywhere. And um, it's, you know, it's just such an honor to be able to share some of these thoughts with people. And if they can help one person, then... You know, I've left the world a little better than when I came into it. I think it's yeah, and I, you know, you know, this book when I read it, I I envisioned it being so helpful for uh, just about everybody. But you know, parents with kids and and married couples and people that are in recovery and people that struggle with, you know, severe and persistent mental health. I think there's some very good, um, you know, strategies and things to know in here. We're going to talk a little bit later about your program, Castle, where you right. you have a great passion of working with kids. Let's tie up so we don't forget the last uh, okay. two or three strategies for outsmarting right. anger. So, so we were in the middle of Project Peace, and just right. just from a science point of view, so the audience knows, we have in our brain, we've evolved these remarkable things called mirror neurons, which are just what they sound like. When, when I see you do something, part of my brain begins to think, maybe I should mirror that. Maybe I should do that as well. So by projecting peace, you're immediately potentially activating these mirror neurons in somebody else to be peaceful. So then the next step is engage empathy. We talked a bit about theory of mind. We talked about how human beings are so interested in what other people think or feel probably been at parties um, where you're chatting with someone and you're really listening to them and you can just tell that they are so grateful to be heard. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you go to the movie Avatar, the wonderful movie, you know, what what they say to each other is, I see you. They're not saying how I I see you. This idea that I really know you're here. So by engaging empathy you are activating theory of mind. With mirror neurons, you're now modeling something. Be empathic with me as well. Let's start really being interested in each other. And then you engage the most important tool that human beings have ever invented. You use language. You communicate clearly. I mean, just think how many words we came up with just for anger. Now, John, can I ask you to do me a favor? Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate this communicate clearly part. Okay. And it's in the book, but I want you to do this for me. I would like you to say these, these words. I am having lasagna for dinner. I am having lasagna for dinner. Okay. And now you and all the listening audience, I would like you to say it as a demand. Same word. I'm, I'm having lasagna for dinner. Great. Now I would like you to say it as a question. I'm having lasagna for dinner. Great. And now... As a seduction. I'm having lasagna for dinner. Fantastic. <laughs> Look what this is. The exact same words. Oh, my goodness. Different, different intonation, different prosody, different inflection, different tone, different meaning. Same oh, words. Man. It's remarkable. Oh. I mean, when you're talking with a little baby, babies don't understand the words you're saying, but they sure do understand the way you're saying it. So communicate clearly is a critical part. You're saying, I am interested in you. Let's talk. Why were you angry to begin with? I'm really interested. I'm not a threat to you. 
I'm not going to take something from you. I'm not going to try to use my power over you. Let's talk about it. And then you do the seventh step, the most important step. Okay. You trade thanks. Trade thanks. Thanks. Gratitude. Gratitude is such a remarkable part of who we are as human beings. When I say thank you, 90% of the time in our culture, what does somebody say back in return? Well, thank you. And what else do they say? You're welcome. Uh, Oh, you're welcome, absolutely. Think about that. You're welcome. These are not insignificant words. You're welcome means I do not see you as a threat to me. I don't think you have more power than me. You have been interested in me. You've projected peace. You've engaged empathy. We've talked about it. You are welcome into my group. You have access to my resources, my residents, my relationships. You are welcome. When I say thank you to someone, I am letting them know that I perceive them as a benefactor. Benefactors are valuable in our society. Benefactors are part of a group. We want benefactors. Just like your friend Johnny Mac. He's a benefactor. He gives yeah. you a feeling of being heard and comforted. Yeah. So Well, and when we first go to our first therapist, you know, experience, and many of our listeners have had that, most people have, and you sit down, that's really the first thing they do is they offer all those things, don't they? Yes. They, they mirror, uh, you know, empathy. Yep. And thanks and all those things. See, you just never, you just don't know that all those things are going on. On the flip side, do we mirror when you come home and you're tired and angry and you come and look at your wife and she sees that on your face, we can also mirror the negative stuff, can't we? Or the, not negative, but impatience. No, John, you're right. You're right. We can mirror the limbic system. And that's why the mantra, keep it frontal, don't go limbic. (laughs) Stay in that frontal lobe. Stay thinking, wonder, why is this person angry? When, if I know that anger is an emotion designed to change the behavior of somebody else, and someone's angry, the first thing I think is, what do they want to see different? What do they want to change? How can I, how can I help them? And if, if respect, and I believe it, respect defuses anger every time. So it may take a while, but you can, use, you can use respect. The seven steps, recognize rage, envision envy, sense suspicion, project peace, engage empathy, communicate clearly, and trade thanks. It spells respect. Oh, it's tremendous. This is all in your book. And I'm thinking a lot about kids as we talk, just from some very recent experiences. And I know you have a passion uh, for working with kids using these techniques. And could you tell me how you became the medical director of Castle? And it's clean and sober teens living empowered and what that's all about and, and why you love that so much. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. Um, so this is part of High Point Treatment Center, which is a, a large organization in the south shore of Boston that, okay. that treats people with addictions struggling and the challenge, but they didn't have any adolescent program. So what was really interesting is uh, about 10 years ago, uh, scientists began recognizing that the adolescent brain is at the highest risk of lifelong addiction of any brain simply because of the way it's developing. And because development follows evolution and because the limbic system came first, the limbic system actually at a 
and adolescence is relatively more mature than that prefrontal cortex. Oh. So what this means <laughs> is that a kid is more likely to be impulsive and seek pleasure without thinking it through. Well, this drives parents crazy, doesn't it? It drives them crazy, the but kid, relax. The kid can't think straight. But you can, and you can model that because kids will mirror it. So, uh, mm-hmm. if, so High Point um, realized that there needed to be adolescent treatment. They didn't have any adolescent treatment. The Department of Public Health put out a bid saying, we have all this money. And about the same time, the kids, a little older than the kids I work with, um, in Brockton were dying from prescription medicine overdoses. So they were dying from overdoses of Percocet and Oxycontin and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. The parents of that group, the parents formed a group called Learn to Cope and went to the mayor and said, we need help to save our kids. So High Point bid on this grant that DPH put out. They won the grant. I had just stepped down as the medical director of another hospital. Right. And um, they approached me and said, look, we've got money, we've got a building, we have no program, would you come and design a program to help kids with addiction? Uh, So I did. And the whole program is based on respect. Um, And it's remarkable because here's a, you know, I'm I'm a clinician, not a a researcher, but here's the number Uh that I am most proud of. We've had now close to, let's see, 1,500 kids come through our program an average of 18 patients a day. It actually works out to about 30,000 patient days. And in that time, we have had fewer than 50 physical fights. Wow. Out of 30,000 days. My goodness, what ages is this? These are 13 to 17. They can be 18 years old if they're in college. I, I mean, if they're still in high school. Okay. And we detox them. So we use a Suboxone if they're detoxing from heroin or opioids. Mm-hmm. Detoxing from alcohol, detoxing from benzos. Got a lot of kids smoking weed, um, yep. and we teach them about their brains. Wow! Teach them about it. Are they fascinated? It's remarkable what they yeah. learn because here's what here's what they really learn. And how much time do we have before the next segment? Oh, probably another minute or so. Okay, so I will I will go through this. Okay, this is really really fascinating stuff. All drugs and alcohol force the brain to make a chemical called dopamine, and it pours out of the brain, and it's pleasure. Look, it would be silly for us to say that that doing drugs doesn't at some point feel good. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing them. Exactly. But the problem is this drug blocks another chemical of pleasure, a chemical called oxytocin, not oxycontin, oxytocin. How do you spell that? O-X-Y-T-O-C-I-N? T-O-C-I-N, right. O-X-Y, oxy. Tocin, T-O-C-I-N. Yeah. Here's the deal. Have you ever had that time where somebody said, John, you did a great job, and you get oh. that rush? Oh. That's oxytocin. That's a nice one. It's a wonderful pleasure. When your so, wife comes and kind of runs her fingers through your hair and goes, boy, are you handsome. That's right. It's like a waterfall. It's right, when you're falling <laughs> in love. When a mother is breastfeeding, it's oxytocin that's released that binds the baby and her together. It's oxytocin that's released when the mother is about to give birth and says, contracts to the uterus. And it's oxytocin that is released when somebody says, you're amazing. Here's the problem. This is blocked with the drugs and alcohol. Dopamine blocks oxytocin. Wow. Dopamine. Well, we're on to something there as well. And uh, 
This is just also fascinating, and we're going to be back for our last little segment. Again, we're talking with Joseph Schrand. Please get on your computers, and you can uh, just do a search from him, and you'll see his book and some of the other things that he does. And uh, when we come back, Dr. Joe, I want you to tell me this other personal story about, about the man in the theater. So we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, and this is John and uh, Dr. Joe, and we've been talking about outsmarting anger and some um, strategies and uh, really fascinating things about our brain and how we work. And uh, in the last segment, we were talking about Castle, which is clean and sober teens living empowered, which uh, Dr. Joe was asked to write up sort of a program for these young teens, and and his knowledge and his tools – he told us our uh, work tremendously with these kids and uh, in diffusing anger and empowering them. But when we left, we were talking about dopamine and oxytocin. Oxytocin, right. And, yeah, continue with that because it's fascinating as well. Sure. So oxytocin is Mm -hmm. the neurochemical of trust. It's called the cuddle hormone, Um, and it's about trust. So let's just think about this. Dopamine blocks oxytocin. So what does that say about what drugs and alcohol do to trust. Boy, it just squashes it. Squashes it. And so we teach this to our kids. And what I say to our kids is not one of you started using drugs and alcohol with the intention of becoming addicted, but some of you have. And not one of you started using drugs or alcohol with the intention of hurting another person, but all of you have. And for that, you have to be responsible. 
Not guilty, but responsible. Because that's the first step in recovery. Responsibility is the most important step. If it's always somebody else's fault, you're never in control. And if you're not in control, you're going to be anxious. And a lot of kids are using drugs or alcohol to avoid feelings like anxiety or anger or sadness. And every time you use a drug or alcohol to avoid a feeling, you're teaching your brain that you are not strong enough to deal with that feeling. Now, if you don't think you're strong enough to deal with something, your anxiety goes up, your anger goes up, your sadness goes up, and you use your drug again. And every time you're doing that, you're forcing dopamine, which blocks oxytocin. So when our kids or any of the folks are using drugs or alcohol, they are having an effect on somebody else's brain. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. It is amazing. And our kids learn this. The whole program is based on when is the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect. The whole program is based on respect. Because I really believe once these kids feel respected, we can rekindle their sense of value. Value leads to trust. Trust is oxytocin. And they can begin to rekindle the most important relationships they have with people in the world and get that pleasure, the pro-social pleasure of being part of a group. And that's what we do. And so do you watch this carry through? Do you give them the same strategies that you've uh, given in the book for adults? Sometimes, yeah. If we, if we, absolutely, the same strategies when, when we're doing a, a thing on anger. But, mm-hmm. but the whole program is based on another concept that I've developed. It's called the IMAX approach. And it's not, it's not directly in the anger book, but it's all embedded through it. And I'm hoping, uh, I've got another book uh, proposal coming out soon. I, can't reveal it, but I'm hoping that uh, the people will go for it, and then the whole IMAX approach will be revealed. But the idea is, I believe that people are always doing the best they can. It's a current maximum potential. We call it the IMAX. It's a position of respect. It doesn't mean I have to like what somebody does or condone it. It's not a free ride. I'm going to hold you accountable and responsible, because as you see, what you do affects my IMAX. But I've got to respect it. Respect in the sense... Let's break the word down, re-again, spec, look. Let's look again at why you're doing what you're doing. The whole anger book is based on that. It's based on respect. So when you really think about the anger, if anger is an emotion designed to change the behavior of somebody else, respect is a behavior designed to change the emotion of somebody else. Respect allows you to keep it frontal, and not go limbic. And you keep it frontal. You use mirror neurons and empathy and theory of mind. Another person is going to have their anger slowly but surely be diffused. And now you've got two prefrontal cortical brains instead of two limbic brains. You've got two thinking brains. Imagine what you can do to solve the problems in the world. Oh, my goodness. Because it really stops us in, a, in our tracks, doesn't it? When we're, the word stuck, uh, addicted, angry, uh, it really affects our whole world, doesn't it? You, you have a story in the book, and, and Dr. Joe, it, it, it's so touching and so powerful. It's about a man in a theater, and uh, it's, to me it's evidence of how you've gotten this these thoughts and ideas and the reason that you can communicate them so well to us, I think is that you have a really big heart. <laughs> and, uh, and I can't prove that, but 
this story certainly does. And can you tell us about the man in the theater? Yeah, my family and I were in New York uh, for uh-huh. vacation, and um, when was this? This was just just a year or so ago, maybe. You know, oh, okay, good. Very very recent, and um, we. We always stay at a particular place where I can look over where the World Trade Towers were because that is such a powerful part of who we are as humanity, and it really shows how destructive anger can be. You know, anger took out these buildings. We formed these groups where one group thinks another group is bad. It's, it's terrible. We don't need to do that. But So I, I stay there to remind myself uh, of just how powerful it was, not just what happened, but how many people came together to rebuild. That's what communities are. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the thing about anger, that anger is not always destructive. It was through anger that people had the civil rights movement and anger that people rebuild things and anger that says, this is unjust, I want to do something about it. So there I am uh, at the theater and I'm waiting in line uh, to get my tickets for the show. And uh, there was a mix-up with the tickets. And uh, we were meant to have tickets for one day. They didn't have them. This guy who was at the box office was very apologetic and was doing what he could to make it right. And because he was so respectful to me, of course, you know, look, I may be, you know, a psychiatrist, but whether you realize I'm still human. Um, uh, so I didn't get angry with him. And the guy behind me pushed his way through. And he said, I don't want to wait anymore, basically. He says, you know, where are my tickets? You know, I'm, I got to have my tickets. And this guy says... You know, I'm trying to help this fellow. And I turned to this man and I said, this man is helping me. He'll help you next. Trying to be as calm as I could, but thinking, what a pushy New Yorker this guy is. So the guy goes to another line, pushes his way in line, and he makes a big thing and he gets his tickets. You know, and um, my guy finally gives me my tickets and he gives us these great tickets. He says, look, I'm really sorry they're not all together, but they're sort of back of row. But they were pretty much right up at the theater. And I look at this other guy as I go into the theater, and they've given him tickets almost in the back. And as he's walking into his row, I realize that he has a girl with him, and she has crutches, and he's gently trying to help her. Well, at intermission, I went to go in the lobby, and I bump into this fellow. And I thought, you know, I've got a choice. I can ignore him, or I can go and say something. And I went up, and I said, I'm so sorry about what was happening. Totally startled him. I mean, I apologized, totally took him by surprise, and he said, oh, it's okay. We started talking. The reason he was so upset was his daughter has a handicap and is on crutches and was getting faint and was having a difficult time standing, and he just wanted to get her to sit down, wanted to find someone to help him, but he didn't do it in a way that elicited people. He approached people with anger, and they were not as helpful to him. But all he wanted to do was help his kid. Yeah. And we talked about that, you know. So yeah. he, he was trying to find a way. But honestly, anger doesn't elicit other people's interest in you. If anger is a, 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 it's an approach emotion designed really to get you to change and usually to get you to back off. Yeah. So the, the unforeseen consequence of anger is that you become alone. Yeah. When you're angry, other people, who wants to be around you? You wind up alone. And then, and then he became your friend. And, and then we Dr. became friends. And for Dr. the rest Joe, of the day. Just, that story is so powerful. And I just want to quickly 
kind of remind people, respect, recognize rage, envision envy, sense suspicion, project peace, engage empathy, communicate clearly, and trade thanks. And all of those things happen in that little story that you tell, and it's very powerful. Could you give us your website one more time real quick before we go here? www.drshran.com. That's D-R-S-H-R-A-N as in Nancy, D as in David, drshran.com. Join up, read the blogs, check it out. There are a lot of blogs on addiction, uh, an adolescent brain. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you, people are interested in getting the book, you can get it at Amazon, you can get it at Barnes & Nobles. And if you're really interested and you like the book, write a comment. If you don't like the book, write a comment. I can always learn. I'm practicing. All right, he's still practicing. We have been talking with Joseph Schran, and it's called Outsmarting Anger, and uh, it's one of the best books that I've read in a long time, and I'm not a compulsive book reader. It's just uh, it's very powerful in many, many ways, and it, it gives me a whole lot of tools on how to live. Uh, people in recovery, parents, uh, couples, I think it, the book is just really good for almost anybody to read. And again, uh, published by Harvard Health Publications. And Dr. Strand I, Strand, I hope that we meet again sometime in the future. And uh, could you tell us quickly before we go uh, how to reach the folks at Castle? Yes. Or is it High Point Treatment Center? Is that what it is? High Point Treatment, but, but you can reach Castle at 508 638 6000. That's 508 638 6,000, you'll get through, press zero for the operator, it'll take you to my nurse's station. If you've got a kid between the ages of 13 or 17 or 18 years old, if they're still in high school, we'd be happy to help them. We take all insurance, we're a non-profit organization, we're a charity, so if you don't have the money, we'll figure out a way to get you help. And you work there? I'm, uh, I'm there, I'm the medical director and, and the psychiatrist, and I'm there pretty much every day of the week. And so what does it feel like to be the only Zoom kid to have published a book? <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm just so honored. The, the <laughs> Zoom was about respect. You know, a bunch of kids just playing. I learned a lot. There are two, two things I want to just leave you with. I okay. just want people to remember, because we're so interconnected um, and because all this addiction stuff is so complicated, small changes have big effects. If Absolutely. you are struggling... You don't need to change everything. A small change has a big effect. Just a little bit. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. We've appreciated you being on the show. And and you'll be able to listen to this show. It'll be archived. And once again, this is one hour at a time with Mary Woods. And I'm John McAndrew. Thank you. Keep it frontal. Don't go limbic. All right. Bye, John. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.